Today we're beginning a new series that I hope is an encouraging voyage through 1 Peter, or a Greek, Pros Petros. Peter is one of the apostles, one of the twelve, that wrote a letter to encourage believers. Uh, years ago we did a series on Peter's life called The Discipling of Simon Johnson. Uh, it's archives on our website if you ever wanted to hear it and learn more about Peter. He was an impetuous person, easily fired up and easily discouraged. Uh, Christ called him to follow him, I think, three times before it actually stuck. He would go back to fishing and Christ would visit him again. Uh, if he fished all night, he didn't want to fish anymore, even though the Lord had a blessing for him. Um, he got the revelation of who Jesus was, and then an hour later, he's telling Jesus, you're not going to the cross. He was kind of bipolar. You know, telling the Lord, I'll die for you, and then denying that he never knew him. Trying to take somebody's head off with a sword, and then uh, cursing, and saying he didn't even know Jesus. He was like stony ground in the parable of the soils. Because the earth is shallow, the seed begins to grow fast, and then it hits the rocks, which is a persecution and hard times, and then he would give up. But hallelujah, conversion came, he was born again, and what a mighty man he became. This letter was written, it's believed by some, while in prison in Rome. I'm not sure about that, but we're going to title this series, Strengthening Truth, or Truths to Make You Stronger for Stormy Times. Can we say that? Strengthening Truth for Stormy Times. The letter is written to believers, Jewish and otherwise, in a region of the world called Asia Minor, now known as Turkey. And in that area, Pontus, Cappadocia, Galatia, and Bithynia, made up of believers that were not from there. They were like refugees from another part of the Roman Empire. Many of them were from Israel, where at the time of his writing, he wrote this around 30, 65 to 68 AD, about 30 years after the resurrection. And... He's writing to encourage them because, uh, you know, when you move somewhere, it, it takes a while to get back on your feet, right? If you, if you don't have moving vans and U-Haul, you can't take a lot of stuff with you. And they were just going through tough times. It was hard to live in the Roman Empire anyway, where half of the citizens were slaves. Yeah, they had that going on. And if you were Jewish, you were picked on and discriminated against. And if you were a Christian, you were picked on and discriminated against. And the Jews didn't like you if they weren't believers. And so it was that uh, right around this time, the Roman ar armies were beginning to surround Jerusalem and lay siege to the city. And just like Christ in Matthew 24 told the believers, when you see that happening, get out of town. And so some of them may have come to that area of the world because of that. In 70 AD, just a few years later, the city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Around 65 AD, Nero had burned, or was accused of burning, Rome to the ground. It's believed because he loved to build, he couldn't build anymore, he wanted to start over again. And of course, the Roman citizens were really upset because this, this did a number on their faith, being pagans and worshipers of gods and enthralled with idolatry. They couldn't get over why their gods didn't defend themselves. Why didn't the idol come alive and put to death the evildoers? And so they were mad. They wanted their pound of flesh. They wanted their revenge. And Nero, being the jerk he was, blamed the 
Christian. So Christians were fleeing all over the place, especially out of Rome. And so here's, here's kind of a Mecca for them, no pun intended, to get away from it all, and yet it's rough there too. So he writes this letter to encourage them. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, verse 1. Jesus sent him. He called him. He was a commercial fisherman by trade. He said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And sent him out to do that. To the pilgrims, or the aliens, the strangers, the refugees, of the dispersion, the old King James says, those scattered, or the diaspora, in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You guys are chosen by God according to his foreknowledge. The Greek word for foreknowledge is literally the word prognosis. Pro meaning before, pros first, gnosis meaning knowledge. Uh, when you go to the doctor, he gives you a diagnosis. This is what you have. I think you have. And then he gives his prognosis. This is what you need to do. And if you do it, this could be your results or this could be your results if you don't. That's his prognosis. So God, based on his prognosis, or because of his prognosis, he elects us. They are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So all the debate in the theological world on God's election. They argue about foreknowledge. Does he foreknow us because he chose us? Or does he choose us because he foreknew us? The fact he chose us is a mystery anyway. And I think uh, I, I think it's all an action of his mercy and I just say yes to all those questions. God's ways are past finding out. He chose us. Now, as a kid, I wasn't very good at sports. When I was nine, we moved to West Africa. I wasn't very good at their sports. When I was 13, I moved back here. I wasn't very good at our sports. So nobody wanted me on their team. Back when kids played in neighborhoods, remember that? Who remembers the day you used to just have fun in neighborhoods? And, uh, In Africa, they didn't, they wouldn't pick me for their team. I'd miss the soccer ball and hit their shin. They played barefooted before. I played with shoes and they hit the ground sucking their teeth at me, which was a form of curse. But in this, in the state side, I wasn't as bad, but still I wasn't as good. So I would be the last guy picked. Okay, you get the girl, we'll take last. God choosing you and I is not like that. Okay, somebody's got to take you. Ah, uh, you're mine. No. He wanted you. He sent his son to die for you. Receive that. Accept that. Enjoy that. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. How does he do it? In sanctification of the Spirit. That is, the Spirit makes us holy. The Spirit sets us apart. The Spirit is the one that anointed a person to witness to us the gospel. Whether you were hearing the gospel on TV, or a neighbor was sharing his testimony with you, or a lady on the street was passing out tracts, the Holy Spirit was at work dealing with your heart to set you apart so that you could walk into the fullness of your election. Isn't that good? 
For what purpose? For obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What does the blood of Jesus Christ do? Cleanses us from all our sins. Atones for our sin. Redeems us from our disobedience. So provision has been made for disobedience so that we can walk in obedience. And should we fall off the wagon? It happens. There's provision made already. God already knew it. You can get back up and repent and ask Him for forgiveness and continue to walk in the sanctification which the Spirit has began in your life. Isn't that good news? When He chose you, He knew, because of His prognosis, He knew you were going to make that mistake. He's not like, oh no, I am done with her. He is finished. He is doomed. No. He hasn't learned his lesson yet. She's still learning to walk in obedience. Here's the blood that has atoned for them from the foundation of the world. The work of Jesus was fulfilled on the cross. That is just awesome. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So all those things he said before, the, the, sheep, the pilgrims that are scattered who are elect and sanctified and are obeying and the blood is sprinkled for them, grace to you and peace be multiplied. We're not done yet here. You're chosen, you're sanctified, you're obedient, there's been provision made for disobedience. Now, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Peace in the Hebrew language, shalom, is not just a calm sense of, you know, everything will be okay. No, it, it's wholeness. There's a completeness in the shalom of God. And his prayer for the reader, for those who are scattered, those who are in distress, that they would receive this peace and their revelation of it would be absolutely multiplied. It would increase more and more. Blessed be, now he launches into a, a, what you call a doxology. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, not my mercy, not somebody else's, according to his mercy, he's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection. Peter, that was part of his testimony. He had lost all hope. He was in hiding. He was full of regret because he had denied the Lord and cussed in the process. When the Lord rose from the dead, he told the first witnesses, go tell the disciples and Peter about my resurrection. His hope was born again. And this hope can't die. It's alive. Because it's based on the one conquered death. Isn't that good? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To, so we've been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection. To an inheritance. Something we're going to possess. That's incorruptible. Means undecaying. And undefiled. That means pure. And does not fade away. That's perpetual. That's undying. That, that's that's eternal. Reserved in heaven for you. So this is our living hope. The future. Now we live between now and then. Between the 
now and but not yet. And this is a purpose for hope. You know, if I hope somebody gives me a watch and then somebody does, I no longer hope for what I already have, right? So we hope for our inheritance in heaven. And when we get to heaven, we won't need hope anymore. So between now and then, we have hope to enjoy, hope to give us courage, hope to make us strong, hope to lift our head up when all the circumstances around us would say to do otherwise. In the meantime, these people who are blessed with blessings in heaven that are reserved for them, they, meaning us, or the reader, the people who are scattered, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. They're kept in the sense of being watched in advance, in the sense of preparation being made in advance. Let's say you got a safe and you kept your valuables in there, a fire safe, you kept your valuables in there in advance of your house possibly burning down. Or your valuable papers, important documents you keep in a safety deposit box in advance of some thief coming in and trying to find them and steal them. Kept in advance. It's security is what we have in the Lord. We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's this future yet to be uncovered, yet to be understood by us. In the meantime, we're kept by God's power through faith for salvation. This faith isn't of ourselves. By grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is saving faith. It gives us the ability to believe the impossible and brings us into his kingdom. It's that faith we rest in. It's our shield. We use it. We don't conjure it up. It's given to us. Faith is like that. It's a gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift from God. And if he gives you faith for something, you, you, it's like you have inside information that nobody else has. A confidence and assurance. And this faith is what keeps us. So if you're ever under attack by the enemy, he's after your faith. To drop your shield down, to become hopeless. In this... Verse 6, you greatly rejoice, <laughs> greatly rejoice. The word there for rejoice literally means to jump for joy, to greatly jump for joy. To, in other words, to jump as high as you can because of joy. If it's the closing minutes of a basketball game, and somebody shoots a three-pointer, the team that was two points behind suddenly is ahead. As, the, as the, 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 the ball leaves his hand, as the buzzer goes off, and it goes through the hoop, they score three points, they now win by one point. What starts happening? People start jumping up and down, right? So this is normal to our human psyche. This is part of our nature to leave the ground when we're excited. So in this you greatly rejoice. What? Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. So here's what we rejoice in. Verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is being tested 
Our faith is being proven. In fact, the word trial literally means, I used to think trial means to trial, to try hard. A trial is, is, a, is, a, is a truth quest. When you're put on trial for a crime, there's a quest to see if you're guilty or innocent. Well, I thought you were innocent until proven guilty. Well, just wait till you're under accusation. We say that as something the culture values, and yet it's not exactly practiced in the courts of the law. So it's a, it's a quest for truth. You're under trial. You're, you're in trial. And so if you're going through a hard time, your faith is being tested. You're in a trial, and it's, you're going to be proven. You're going to come through it with victory by God's help. Amen? And will be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. How do we? Because of faith. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice, there's jumping for joy again, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. He gives us the ability to rejoice in the midst of tough times. Old choir song I sang when I was a kid. Don't wait till the battle's over. Shout now. Don't wait till the battle's over. Shout now. We can rejoice in advance. Isn't that hype? No, it's reality. We're encouraging ourselves in the our faith enables us to do it because we have inside information. Everybody's looking for inside information. That's what all these polls are about. Trying to find out who's the winner. Who's going to do it? Who's going to that? Who's going to this? But through Christ, we have faith. We just know stuff. Just do. When one of us dies, it's different for us than for an unbeliever. We know we're going to see one another again. We're not happy for the party. Farewell for now. See you later. Here lies the bones of John Doe, but not his life. Here lies the hands of John Doe but not his works. Here lies the feet of John Doe, but not his walk. Here we say goodbye to John Doe, but not for long. Get some inside information. Strengthening truth for stormy times. The subject today is we have a living hope. This is a truth that will strengthen us. Our hope is alive. It's not dying. Get a hold of it. Believe in it. Receive from it. Enjoy it. The hope of Christ's followers is alive. It is in God himself. My hope is not in the economy. My hope is not in the work of my hands. My hope is not in people. It's not in politics. It's not in the government. And it's certainly not in the United Nations. My hope is in God himself. David, in speaking to himself in Psalm 43, said, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? 
What you get so shook up about? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. Are you wrestling with hopelessness? Where have you put your hope in? What is your hope in? Be sure it's in God. The hope of Jesus' followers is a source of joy at all times. I've known believers go through hell in terms of circumstances. And yet, they're able to smile and there's a reality to it. It's not a fakeness. They're not faking it until they make it. They're faithing it until they make it. But there's, there's an effortlessness that comes to us because of hope. David goes on to say in Psalm 146.5, Happy is he who has a God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The hope of Jesus' followers is made stronger through troubles. We're able to face stuff because we have faced stuff. Back to David. When facing Goliath, he said, the God who delivered me from the lion and the bear is able to deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. So his faith was made stronger through the battles he had in the past. Sometimes as believers, we're glad something's over. It's almost like we're mad that something happened. Look, you came through it. You overcame. Draw strength from that and don't forget the lessons you learned. Well, it must not have worked. Here's troubles again. No, this is a, you won that battle. This is a different one. Romans 5, verse 3. Not only that, Paul said, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that. There's inside information. Tribulation produces perseverance. It'll give you a backbone. An old saint of God that has been around for years has a backbone the world doesn't understand. They're not blown about by the winds of their circumstances. They're not jellyfish. They are strong soldiers of the Lord Jesus. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Some people say, don't get your hopes up. I say, get your hopes up, 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 up in the Lord, not down here. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So by the Holy Spirit, we are enabled to receive hope, to be reminded of his love for us. The hope of Jesus' followers is learned from the scriptures. This is what we're being reminded of things today. Paul also wrote in Romans 15, 14, he said, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. If he did it for David, he can do it for me. If he did it for Abraham, he can do it for Yeah, but those guys were all victorious. No, they weren't. They had some serious problems. You know, if the Bible was really made into a film just as it really is, it would be rated R. Oh, 
It is not a tame book. It tells it like it is. Real people with a real Redeemer experiencing genuine redemption gives us hope. Amen? The hope of Jesus' followers is grown by the Holy Spirit. You can abound in hope. Verse 13, Paul goes on, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you wrestling with hopelessness? This is not a, all right, you better, this is not a shame you into, you know, picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. Oh, you better generate some hope. Oh, you better. No, 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 no. The problem isn't fighting hopelessness. The remedy is receiving more of what God has for us. Lord, fill me. Let's do it right now. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. You need to pray that every day. And make yourself hope. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, David said. He was in the Old Testament. He was experiencing that. It's for us. we got the better covenant. And with the fullness of the Spirit comes an awareness of things that we need to be aware of. Our perception changes. Hope dawns in our heart. Faith rises up in our soul. The hope of Jesus' followers is kept alive by the resurrection. We shared this earlier. But according to Christ's abundant mercy, he's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. The hope of Jesus' followers is a reasonable reality. This isn't something that we just hope we have. We have hope. It's real. I have hope, though trouble comes my way. I have hope, yes I do, since Jesus has come to stay. I have hope, oh yes. When things are not well with me, I have hope. It's a beautiful hope that sets me free. Hold it. Peter, in his third chapter, the same letter, verse 15, says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That is, with, with self-control, power under control, don't lash out at people because of your hope. You can be calm with this. And fear, that is respectfulness. You very gently say, I have hope. On what basis? Well, have you considered all the uh, circumstances surrounding the story of the resurrection? The historical reality of the empty tomb? We're living in 2016 for some reason. Hello? And... I survived yesterday and I'm surviving today, so I have reason to believe I'm going to survive tomorrow. I mean, there's, there's good logical reasons for having hope. The hope of Jesus' followers is an important part of our spiritual armor. 1 Thessalonians 5 8 says, But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Do you wrestle with peace of mind? Do you wrestle with horrible thoughts? 
put your hope in God. And that hope is like a helmet. It will become a guard in your life to bring you the peace that you need. The hope of Jesus' followers is given by his grace. You may be here today and say, yeah, I hear you that. That's for normal Christians. I'm not normal. I have messed up. I am, I am suffering as a result of my choices. Or I have wasted my youth. Why should I have hope? Or I'm not worthy. Folks, it's by His grace. By His grace. That grace gives us hope. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 16 to 17. Now may the, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation. That's something to study. Somebody ought to write a book on that. Everlasting consolation. And good hope by grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So he's already given us everlasting consolation and a good hope by grace. And he wants to comfort our hearts and establish us in every good word. In everything we say. The hope of Jesus' followers is fulfilled when Jesus returns. Then we're not going to have a reason for hope, the Bible says. So between now and then, what do we have? We have hope. Have hope of a day when there will be no more tears. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face. All sorrows will erase. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. It will. Some of you I know are going through some tough stuff. Listen to the truth. Our problems are temporary. Our blessings are eternal. They're reserved. They're kept under guard. Nobody can take them from you. Between now and then, don't lose your hope. Keep them up in him. Titus 2, Paul writes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So it's, it's that hope that motivates us to obey the Lord's commands. You're struggling with disobedience? Where's your hope at? I had a dear friend who fell into great disobedience. Outright rebellion against God's plan for his life. Because he got disappointed. His hope was in the wrong things. It was not in God. But when our hope is in him, 
It's not a self-serving hope. It's a kingdom-serving hope. And it generates in our heart a desire to please the one that is helping us do more than survive, helping us overcome. The hope of Jesus' followers is a purifying motivation. John wrote in 1 John 3, 2 and 3, Beloved, now we are children of God. Now. Can we say now? Now. Now we are. But we're not what we're going to be. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I'm telling you, saints, hope purifies us. You may be persecuted and mocked for not indulging in some sinful opportunity that comes your way. If you do, you regret it. What makes you want to please the Lord? It's the hope that he gives. I hope to please him. I hope to be made like him, and so I want my life to reflect him even today to look more like Jesus than I did yesterday. Who's heard of cryonics? Is it cryonics or cryogenics? Larry King was interviewed by the New York Times. He told the journalist that he plans to avoid death by opting for the Ted Williams treatment. He told him he's arranged for his body to be frozen and one day to be thawed out when researchers discover a cure for whatever killed them. <laughs> as if freezing, being frozen, isn't doing damage as well. He goes on, tells a journalist, the people behind cryonics are all nuts, but at least he knows he will be frozen. He might die with a shred of hope. Finding hope in cryogenics is no comparison to finding hope in Christ. Cryonics or Christ? Lord, speak to our hearts today. Show us where we've not put our hope in you. And show us, Lord, what is ours in the future. Also, Lord, what is ours now. Circumstantial, employal, that is a word. <laughs> the Lord has an answer for you. And 
And if he doesn't jerk that thorn out, he's got grace for you to endure so that your, your strength is made perfect in weakness because you're de you will depend on the Lord more than ever before. And you will be an amazing testimony to the reality of God in your life in a world that glorifies being champions 24-7. You can overcome even in the midst of stuff. So in our trials, we do have prayer, which is a weapon. We do have the throne of grace that we can come to in time of need. We do have a high priest who is easily touched with the feelings of our struggles, having walked in our shoes. And he does have grace to help us in the hour of need. And he can restore. And he can heal. And he can do miracles. And he can give you grace to endure between now and the not yet. Whatever that would be. Did Paul always have the thorn? I don't know that. I just know at that point in his life he had it. And well, what was it? It was something that was a pain in the rear, whatever it was. That's the point. Nothing to argue about there. With that being said, I just want to encourage you that God does hear our prayers. And he does answer prayers. Pray more. Pray till he gives you a word. That's what Paul did. God gave him a word and that word became his basis for faith. Sierra Brown, she experienced some healing in her body a few weeks ago. Go ahead and tell us what was, what was wrong. What, how did you hurt yourself? What happened? Well, years ago, my brother went to go swimming with me, so I kicked him in the water, and I tore all the ligaments in my ankle. A couple years ago, you tore all the ligaments in your ankle? Yes. Okay. And uh, I didn't get help for it immediately, and when I finally got help, they had to put buttons in my ankle. And to put what? Buttons. Buttons? Like pins? Yeah. And then uh, I started having troubles with it, like, a lot more frequently, so I went to the my foot surgeon, and he said that I was going to have to have uh, reconstruction, sur reconstruction surgery. And then uh, I got some prayers about it that I would have had to have it. And I went back to the doctor and I said, all they're going to have to do is just take out the buttons. Wow. <laughs> you're not going to have to reconstruct it. No. Who, who prayed for you? Was it on a Sunday morning? Where did it happen? How did it happen? Um, it happened, uh, one happened here, I don't remember who exactly prayed for me. Uh, and then out there it was Carl and uh, Matt and another person that I forgot their name. Thank you, Lord. I want to testify to the reality of her testimony. I remember a couple years ago when she was on crutches. Remember that? Yes. Was that injury? And then a few weeks back when... I drove a van load of youth, remember that story, to the uh, Cowboy Stadium there, AT&T Stadium. And I let them out on the curb, right? And they went in, and then I had to find a place to park, which took like an hour and a half. I only found a place to park two, two miles away or further. And so walking from the stadium to our van, this child began to lag behind. Slower and slower and slower. And so I went back, heard her friends that were helping her walk, and we found a place for all the youth to stay in the church so they didn't have to make the long trek, and then I went and got the man and got her, so she really was suffering with this thing. 
Well, how'd you do it at uh, the Reveal Conference? I mean, uh, I was hurting a little bit, but not too much. I think, like, a word of the prayers just helped my foot a lot better to make it feel a lot better, and it doesn't bother me as much anymore. Get some more prayer today. Um, if you could use some prayer, could you just slip your hand up, just hold it up? Hold it up. Could you stand? Could you use some prayer that you held your hand up or didn't hold your hand up? Can you stand? Could you use some prayer? Could be, could be in the area of hope. Could be for more healing. All right. So, I see uh, several people. Those of you that are quick to go pray, can you go pray with these people? us to be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters that our prayers will be effective. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. It's simple, saints. You speak to the sickness, you speak to the problem, and you pray for the person. Pray for the person. Speak to the issue. Command it to change. In Jesus' name. One of our newcomers has a word for us. The Lord is saying, I will do it. I will do it. I am the yes and the amen. I will do it. I will do it. I will. I am the first and the last. I will do it. He will do it, and he is doing it. Amen? Go get him, you lively old tigers. 